Okay, so ready with you are family. I'm Hendrik and I'm here in the Tilbach Center in uh, the City Bowl of Cape Town and I'm here with Dylan Thomas and we're talking design. So you've been invited to go to Design Joburg. How did that happen? So late last year I was asked if I would like to do a partnership as a, a head interior designer and partner up with key businesses that would like to promote their product um, as in a really beautiful collaboration. So we've teamed up with Crema, which focuses on iconic furniture, and then Tile Space, which is world-class leading flooring and wall tiles, which are absolutely beautiful. They come from Italy, which I love, and all around the world, and tying them in together in a way that is completely brand right for my aesthetic, and also promoting their businesses too, which would be right for them in a trend-focused look. So what is the aim of Design Joburg? I think it's to get a whole bunch of top creatives together. Sorry, I use that word top creatives together. <laughs> to actually showcase what product is available out there for masses, which I think is really important, but we do it in a very different way versus a conventional way. I think it's done more for showcasing how product can be used differently in a way that is a lot more inspiring and creative. So it's called Rooms on View. So you're building literally a room to display. Literally. Yeah. So um, our space is about 60 square meters and we're doing a living room with a bit of a study which is attached to it and a bit of a bar counter area which would be great for, to interact with clients as well when they do come to the stand and have a look to see what we have to offer. And there's lots of blacks in it. Yeah, so we predominantly focus in on black and white. I think there's a huge trend towards black furniture at the moment um, or at least dark woods and stuff like that but tying it into a really sophisticated timeless way which is very true to my aesthetic which I love and then just mixing different materials together so a slate type flooring with high gloss black um, Tom Dixon lighting and just beautiful black marble detailing that comes through from some of the other lighting that we have from Crema which I think is really important you know just to keep the textures real and um, make them the feature within the space that's why the space is quite neutral meaning the black and white so mm-hmm. the white walls um, and add in the panel detailing which is true to our aesthetic um, and just introduce in some light from a really big tree that will be on stand <laughs> which I hope we're going to get in there so, so what is the secret of making a good room? For me, it's about the basics. If your basics are correct, I think you can do anything to the space. So the basics would be great flooring. I think the flooring should be a feature, as well as either a very neutral wall or a very tactile wall. And I think anything else that you add to that will work. So for me, it's the basics. How did you get into designing? Ah, uh, wow. So, <laughs> when I was little, I always knew that I wanted to become a set designer, and I can't act nor can I sing, but what I had the ability to do from a very young age was create spaces, and I remember sitting down watching Friends, and in Friends you have, as an example, the coffee shop like Central Perk, and like I said, I can't act sing, but... I can envision a space where people can interact in, and you'll always remember that couch. So if I can't sing or act, what I can do is make people happy by creating spaces that people experience moments in, which I think for me was quite important. So wanting to be a set designer, I studied interior design because that was what I needed to do. And interior design led me into visual merchandising because my dad's like, you need to get a part-time job for the summer because you're costing too much. And I did. I got into visual merchandising not knowing what it was. And that just propelled my career from a design point of view. And with visual merchandising, I was able to give mass people, so people en masse, the ability to experience a space, give them instant gratification. So even if you had buyer's remorse when you left the store, the experience of what you had, you still enjoyed it and made you feel good. And that for me was my way of 
getting into design and making people happy. Because at the end of the day, for me, whatever you create needs to make people smile and make them happy internally. So did you ever do some design for theatre? No, I haven't yet. That would be the next step, definitely. But apparently, like once they pull you in, you get so locked into it that you don't actually want to leave. So it is a little bit of Probably. a fear. Yeah. And it's all held together by masking tape. Maybe. Literally, right? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Which I can't say for projects they are because the clients would be mortified. Um, <laughs> but there's always secrets to everything, right, and how things get put together. So tell us a little bit about uh, Design Joburg, where it is and where people can see you there. So it's on the 24th of May to the 26th. It's at the Santa Convention Center. It is going to be... I think the best show yet. I think the people, the lineup is insane. Um, and I'm completely honored to be part of the lineup of designers, which I think is really exciting. And I think the new creative directors from Tonic, I think they're bringing a really different eye to the space, which I think is really needed, especially in a country and a continent that we have where all design focus is on Africa because Africa is this big emerging market. And I think it's important that people get to see what we have to offer. Fantastic. Dylan, you started design because you saw theatre and, and theatre design and, and television design yeah. and things like that. What caught your eye in that? For me, again, it was not necessarily the space, but it was in terms of the way that space was designed, but it was a space that people could come to, like the Friends crowd or, you know, Seinfeld or Frasier, you know, the apartment in Frasier where everything happened around it and it was that association. So if you were feeling down in your life, you had 20 to 30 minutes of this escape. And like I said, I can't act or sing, but I have the ability to create spaces. And for those 20 or 30 minutes, I could help somebody escape. And that's why Visual Merchandising gave me this ability to do this on complete mass, where I was able to create a space where you can come in and shop, enjoy it, leave the store, even if you have buyer's remorse, <laughs> and still feel good for at least a period of time. Because I think everybody needs that escape, and I think that's why retailers do so much effort to make their space, their stage. So it's not just the business side of it, the side of things that they need to focus on, but it's also the emotional subconscious level that they really tap into, which I love. I think it's completely stimulating to see what and how people shop. So, so obviously you need training to do this. You went to study. What, what exactly did you study? I didn't study for visual merchandising. It just came completely naturally to okay. me. I studied interior design. Interior design. And when I started visual merchandising, I was still studying interior design. But I just had this... I can't explain to you. It was just a knack that I got to the space and I was like, okay, let me do this. And I did that. And three months later, I was made key accounts manager. And by the end of the year, I was made national for the company that I started working with. And it was just this wheel that kept turning. And I just happened to be good at what I was doing. And 10 years later, I left this big corporate world and started my own business. And what I love about the, the design elements that I've learned through that process was understanding how residential and commercial clients think and act because you can see what masses were doing and now you can taper it down to more personalized aesthetics and feelings to like residential or commercial being companies and stuff and how they would interact in their space or how they want to interact in their space. So, I mean, you kind of look on the client's behalf and go, okay, if it looks like this, then people will function in a certain way. Do you get a client that just tells you, okay, do whatever, or are they very prescriptive? Or They vary a lot. <laughs> they do, because everybody has their own personal taste that they'd like to implement it into a space. And even though they come to you or an interior designer or a decorator for your personal aesthetic, because that's what you buy into, it's a brand that they want to have part of their lives, there's still an element of okay, cool, um, I have a client that doesn't like anything round. It has to all have straight lines. 
So that's a challenge in itself because now you find sand where that's completely straight. Or you have other clients where the only thing that mattered was the slab of marble that went into the kitchen counter. That was the only thing she worried about. Everything else, free range, which was amazing. And then you have other clients where every last detail is like, are we sure this is the right screw that needs to go into the carpentry? And you're like, yes. So it varies, but again, it's understanding what really makes them happy. And I think that's what is why I still do what I do, because sometimes I can't believe that I talk about wallpaper, because it's like, there's bigger things, but it brings people happiness, and I think that's where my focus and pure passion comes from. And I look at my team that I have that support me, those people have the same ethos, which I think is really important. So how would you sit with a client and go, let me figure out what makes this man happy? You ask them questions, yeah. you walk through their space, you understand their lifestyle and the perception of who they are today and where they see themselves in the future because when you're designing a space, whether it's a renovation or it's a brand new space, you need to understand where they've come from. And I believe your home should tell or your space should tell a story of who you are, where you've been. And that's why for me that integration of this timeless sophistication is so important because it needs to tell a story of who you are. And we've had clients in the past where you've fabricated it all because they've travelled the world and they've got nothing because they've lived in hotels and they've done everything else and then all of a sudden you have to try and make the story up for them by asking them questions like where their favourite places are to travel to and what they loved about those areas and then finding inspiration in that because it, that is how some people have lived in the past. They've been nomads and they've just jump from country to country to try and figure out what they wanted and when they find a sense of home they need it to be really good. You talk about your personal aesthetic, how do you discover that and what is it? I think for me it's an ongoing journey, it's never, it can never be completely defined and I think if people think that you can completely define a space or your aesthetic, I think that would be too arrogant to say that you've, you've done it. For me right now I'm completely intrigued with ancient civilization and how all that worked and how that came to be and how that can be translated into a timeless interior because I do think you can do something quite fashionable but it's going to last for a couple of months and then you're going to be over it and you've spent you know, a sum of money which is a waste of money in my opinion. So rather for me I always focus on timeless spaces which go, like I said right now my aesthetic is more about the ancient civilization. So that might change as, as time goes by, as you develop and grow? So mates of mine would always say, you can see that is a Dylan Thomas interior because there's a string of commonality that comes through on it. But in terms of finishes, I think the finishes will change from a train point of view. But I do think I have found my footprint in what I believe is right from a design point of view. So I hope this won't change because I'm enjoying it a lot. Mm. So starting up a business like this must be a hell of a challenge. I mean, how do you do that? Some days I don't even know how I do it. <laughs> but I think that the thing for me is finding something that makes sense and sticking to it. Whatever they teach you in varsity, whatever they teach you in school, for me it, it makes no sense because they don't teach you how to interact with the person from a client-facing point of view. Because at the end of the day, that is 90% of what you do. The design element is a small element of it because you're managing people's expectations, which is everything. But I love my clients. My business to date has been based on referrals and continued projects with the same clients. So we have very few new clients, but we have continued projects with existing clients where they just keep buying and we redo or there's always changes. And it becomes this 
this world that's really fulfilling. So I don't know how I'm still here. <laughs> I don't know what the right advice would be to give anybody else. But what I do know is if you love it and you're passionate about it, just stick through it. Because there were days where you're like, how am I doing this? How am I paying the rent? How am I doing any of this? And there's other days where you're like, let's build up the business and how can we be bigger and better? Mm. Which, it's tricky. It really, really is tricky. How big is your team and, and who do you need around you to be able to do this? We are a five-man team at the moment. I have an accountant, which you need, and you should never leave without one. And I wish I was told that up front because <laughs> my eyes were blue when I see numbers. I have a marvelous design team who do the, the CADs and the technical aspects of putting what I have in my brain onto paper. And then I have somebody that's been with me forever where they know exactly what my brain is saying and they know how to articulate what I want and know how to action it out. It's almost like the fixer from Scandal kind of thing. They're able to fix things and make things happen. And then we have a few contracting builders which actually implement what the vision is. If it's a small-scale project, if it's a big-scale project, we have a separate building team that actually manages all of that. And a part of our business as well, we work with retailers and we help them become bigger and better from a creative point of view that inspires people to buy more with them, which, again, is visual merchandising. Mm. So... So visual merchandising, that means the displays of how you put things out in the shop and yes. the shop windows. The, the way the store is designed, the way the store is navigated by um, clients, as well as the visual window appearance of as you walk into the space or what gets you into that threshold. And also, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how pretty the windows are. If they don't make money, it's pointless. So mm. No retailer wants a pretty window. They want pretty windows that sell. Mm. So what makes a pretty window that sells? The right product. Yeah. <laughs> the right. It always boils down to the right product. Remember years and years and years and years of the same conversations, and whether it was in fashion retail that I was in, or sports footwear, or homeware, because I've done it all, it boils down to the right product. If the right product is right, it sells. So it doesn't matter how hard you work from a visual merchandising point of view, you can help increase the basket size, but you cannot force somebody to buy something if it's ugly. So that is, yeah, quite important from a design point of view. So is design a kind of a gay thing to do? Is there lots of gay guys doing design, or is, is it just a perception? I want to say it's a perception, uh, but I can't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the irony of the situation. So if I look at uh, some of the top designers, my peers, there's a handful of them that are straight, and then I think the majority of them are gay. Mm -hmm. And I almost want to say it's the good designers are more refined, and I think that is a bit of a gay thing, which is very cliche. But I do think there's an element of there's some women that are insanely talented and their vision is off the charts, as well as some heterosexual men, which I think is, it's growing, but I do think there's a stigma around, you know, your interior designer has to be gay. It's mm. just, you know, the norm. And I think this is just social conditioning. But I do think it's changing, which is good, because I think that's like saying women can't be builders. And it's like, same, same, right? So you want to change that in time. Have you found sort of barriers because of that? Do people go, no, I don't want a, a gay designer, or is it just like a designer and that's it? I do find that some people are intimidated by it. Okay. So when you meet new clients, let's say, you know, the wives' clubs will have conversation about within each other and now you get passed around as the decorator, not the designer, but the decorator. <laughs> and then some of the men are quite intimidated initially, and I don't know why it is, and it just is, and then once they get to know you, it's all fine. So I think there is, there's definitely breaking down of that stereotype happening, but it's fine, and I think... 
we live in a world today where it should be completely normal, but sadly it's not. Mm. Favorite places you've done or favorite rooms you've done or best design? Oh, wow. Um, I think right now I've been very fortunate to, when I first moved to Cape Town about a decade ago, I'm getting old now, there is this house in, on the Atlantic seaboard. It is and has always been my favorite house. And I had done another house for another client and I met a client of mine, which is now one of my greatest friends, um, and she owns this house. And I was lucky enough to do it the first time around, and last year we did it for the second time. And I've been lucky enough to do it for the second time, and the second time was this massive overall. And I was allowed to be completely free in what I did. And the house itself is situated on these massive boulders on the Atlantic seaboard. It's on the foot of Lion's Head, and the views are insane. But it's got this Mediterranean undertone, which goes back to what my aesthetic is. And it just moves me on every level. I was there this week, and it was just like so fulfilling to be in the space. And she lives in the home now the way she wanted to years ago really and it's so nice to see that full circle come together it's really really rewarding Um, and I think the other space for me is really important is our firm our studio Um, I've always wanted to create a space where people are free to be creative they're inspired but they also want to be here because we do work late hours we do have a tough role that we play and we have to worry about fabric and we have to worry about buildings and, and how you know the concrete gets put into the walls and like things that I find ridiculous at the best of days <laughs> landscaping and <laughs> the fabric doesn't touch the floor and it's like things that drive you nuts but the space that we've created here in our studio is really rewarding it really really is it's a space where I find my team want to be they want to be here late at night we have a little drinks cabinet and when things are tough we get a whiskey out or a gin and tonic and you know things seem a little bit better. So I think those two spaces right now are the spaces that really evoke the best in me. So if you design for other people, do you ever get to design for yourself? What does your place look like? Everybody always thinks, oh my god, Dil, your space would be That's amazing. so amazing, hey? But, but you know the irony is that I think my apartment has <laughs> changed, I don't know how many times. It was featured in uh, a publication a couple of years ago, and I look back at that now and it's like, it's not the same house. Because you go through these moments of change, because mm. I think you get to experience or experiment with your own space a lot more than you do with other spaces. And that's where you find your true aesthetic. I think that's really interesting. But I do feel that my home represents me in a really nice way. Or also the me that I want to see myself in at the end of the day where I might have an abundance of money and massive space and whatever it is. But just live in a world that makes me happy with things that are beautiful. But things that have stories and history, things that I've collected on my trips, and things like that, which really make me smile. But there's a groove you've got to find to be able to do that. Hey? There's like a... And you search, and you search, and you... Like last year, I think, was one of the hardest years that I've ever had in my life, and both personally and business-wise. I mean, business-wise, the business grew massively, but then part of that growth was all this growing pain and the school fees that you have to pay for dealing with people that are almost slightly more entitled and you look at things like where did that come from I thought we were one team and you look back and you think to yourself where did I go wrong because I can fix me but I can't fix somebody else's thought process and it's it's fascinating it really is it's hard it's hard to keep this this ship afloat even though it's not the biggest ship it is tough well the economic climate is certainly not conducive to business at the moment um it it isn't and so 
I had this conversation the other day with another a mate of mine who's a sort of designer, and we are in a position where clients have money, but even the ones with money are becoming far more like more restrained in what they do, and it does limit things, but it also then does push you from a design point of view to execute out great design. Because I fundamentally believe design should not be expensive, design should be accessible to everybody. And I think for me, part of what I do is I have a collaboration with the, one of the bigger retailers in South Africa, homeware retailers, furniture retailers, because I do believe that everybody should be exposed to great design. And when you can teach large amounts of people that warm life versus cool life is better for you, it already changes people's moods and demeanors. And I think those little simple things in time will change everything dramatically. So I do find on a monthly basis, I look back and I reflect on what we've achieved as a business and where we are. And there's definitely an element of things that get published, things that get seen, people's perception. Because, I mean, social media creates this massive perception of elitist, horrible names. But it's not like that. It's, it's when you break it down, you really, I really just want people to be exposed to great design and be happy for that and enjoy it. But great design is kind of invisible, isn't it? Because you make a room or a house for somebody and it's the people and their friends who stay there that might see it. It's sure. not like the whole world will get to see your creation. Sure, but that's why I think that's where social media plays a massive role. And I think being able to share that and share the content around that is really important. Mm. Um, and my businesses slogan, for want of a better word, is, which you've changed a couple of times, but one thing that has never changed. So from the start, when I first started my business out as a gallery up here in Burkhop, it used to say, curation, design, happiness. And those were the words that I used to use when I was in varsity, when I would sign off a project or whatever it is, and it was something that was really important to me. Uh, I then saw a business developer and she said to me, people don't understand what you do, the name on the door doesn't make any sense, you need to change it. So then we changed it to Gallery Interior Design Happiness. And the business model changed dramatically just by changing those words, where people's perception of our business was very different. Now, we've dropped the gallery part, and now we're Construction Interior Design Happiness. Because the business evolved in such a big way, I started my own construction business last year, and that was like the big school fees that I had to learn, because I've never been a builder before. But then you have to hire the right people to build out the house and places and be like how's this going to work <laughs> but it's great fun but the one word that has never changed is the happiness because at the, end, at the end of the day whatever we do brings happiness and it should bring happiness even if it's only a, a three month affair with a client before something breaks <laughs> or they're not happy with something but uh, yeah um, I think that's quite for me the happiness component is everything it really really is everything and when I look at our suppliers because I do believe that a supply chain base is really important where your clients understand who you are what your needs are and you work with each other through the process they have this ability to also spread that happiness we have a client coming another client supply coming just now and they've been with us since day one and it's one of those things where you know like hello auntie rose like it's that familiarity which is really important and i love that and i think in time i think it will change as the business grows in terms of you can't have that relationship with all your suppliers like that but i think the ones that you can nurture really well will always be like that and it boils down to happiness again you spread happiness you get it in return you find yourself on a site and you you panic and you think this is never going to come together or it's completely wrong for the client or something so on the board here, it says 18 days countdown. It's actually changed to 15 because it hasn't been updated. 
we handed over this massive project here um, in Camps Bay, and I had uh, one of the guys that worked for me on site this morning, and I'm like on FaceTime because sometimes you have to manage a site from online, and you can't always be there. Mm. And you look at the list of things. This list is still understated. The other things are two weeks, and we literally have a ship. There's a ship out at sea at the moment, and it can't come in because of the weather. And the tiles were supposed to arrive on the 6th of May, so in Cape Town on the 8th, or on site on the 8th. They're only arriving on the 16th now. We hand over on the 24th. And the floor square meters that we have to cover is just short of 200 squares of tiling. And it's not just big tiles, it's little herringbone, clumpy style tiles, which take forever as it is. So the idea is where you're like, this is never going to happen, it's never going to work. But you plan for it, you make sure that everybody's on board and you wait for that to arrive and you're there. And I think, again, that boils down to organisation and a great team. Because even when you're not organised, you have a great team. So you have one or the other. You travel a lot? I do travel a lot, um, especially locally in terms of um, nationally. But this year, I've got quite a few trips coming up abroad, which I'm really excited about. One of the ones that I'm really, ex- really excited about is going to Italy. I've never been to Italy yet, and it's one of those spaces that I feel like I need to get to sooner rather than later. But I am scared I'm not going to get come back. <laughs> I might love it so much. Um, so I've really warned people. Because I am completely, like we spoke about earlier, and I'm really fascinated with the ancient architecture, the ancient world, and mm. how that all came together because as the cycle of fashion happens right we go through these things where like clothing fashion comes back architectural fashion comes back but the basis always stays and that's why I think the timeless elegance and timeless sophistication should always be based on the original stuff not anything new or fashion like Dubai glitz good back to the basics exactly exactly Um, when you play sport not that I do (laughs) that they always say keep it simple right go back to the basics (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when you travel, you, you collect beautiful things along the way? You find I do. something that speaks to you? I do, I do, I do. The one thing that I got recently was this beautiful um, beautiful bowl from Zanzibar, from a, a lady walking on the beach just selling stuff. And it was, it's a Malachi bowl, and I love it. I absolutely love it. And I literally have a key in there for my storeroom that sits on the drinks cabinet at home. And I love, like, it just brings me so, ha- so much happiness when I see it every day. There are many other things, but that's, like, one of the pieces that I love. Even in Bali, I picked up this beautiful rock. It's in my bathroom. It's random stuff, but it just evokes the right emotion. You talk about happiness a lot. Marie Kondo says, does it give you joy? <laughs> you subscribe to that kind of thinking that you must sort of decide what you want to keep and what you want to let go in your house. Um, Based on happiness then? Yes, 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 yes. I do. I definitely do. I go through, you can ask the team, I go through stages where I'll go clean up their desk because it drives me nuts looking <laughs> at it. And they're like, where's this paper? I'm like, well, if you didn't file it, it's gone. <laughs> like, so I do think that a world less classed is a better world, or especially a space. But I do think there's things that you don't necessarily have to give up. Um, I look at my mum and dad and the stuff they keep of ours as kids and you're like, is that necessary? Um, there's somebody asking that could benefit from it. But like photos and like mementos, I think, have a place. And I think it's about putting them into a space that makes sense and becomes respectful for the history and the past, but not keeping towels and linen that have holes in it and stuff like that because you think you might use it when you wash the dog kind of thing. Like, those are the things I know. 
your personal life, you, you married, you in a relationship, you got dogs? Oh, I have a beautiful golden retriever. She, uh, <laughs> she's amazing. She normally comes to the office as well. There's a bed in my actual office for her. And uh, an amazing applehead um, Siamese cat who drives me nuts on the best of days. Uh, he's really beautiful and I think he knows that. And he's very loud. Siamese cats are very loud. They're very talkative. And as he walks through the cat flap, whenever he comes in, he like is like, honey, I'm home. He meowing his way through things. And yes, I am in a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> okay. People can get hold of you. How would they do that? My website, which is dylanthomas.com, or which has all my details, or on Instagram, which is I have a private account, which is my personal one, as well as the business account. So the business account is studio underscore dylan underscore thomas with a z, and or my private one is dylan thomas with a z. And oh, the one thing I have to say is, everybody thought, why is the Thomas with a Z? Is that something that I fabricated? It's not. It's actually Tomaj. It's Eastern European, but nobody knows that I say Tomaj, so that's why it's Thomas. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, Tomaj, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've had the best cool. time.